0: 10, we'll be reading verses 19 through 25. If you're in the, uh, the blue seatback Bibles, it's page 843. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching.
1: Thank you, Mark. morning, church. If you have your Bibles, keep them open right there to Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't have one, there should be a blue one near you. I want you to grab that and follow along with us. Um, We're not much interested in our own opinion around here. We just want you to see... Uh, that what we're talking about is from the Word of God, and so we'd love for you to follow along with us. I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer as we start this. Father, we're thankful for each and every person who's here this morning, God, whether it's their first time or their thousandth time. Lord, we know that that you moved in their lives in a way that they, they made this decision to give this hour to you. And so I pray that you just bring that home, God, that you would speak now, that you would move, that you would convict, that you would just have uh, your way in our midst and that we would be obedient uh, and humble and and just joyfully and willfully respond to whatever you ask from us. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I can remember vividly my second first day of college. Uh, See, after after high school, I immediately went to a college in Indianapolis, and I went to this college for three different reasons. Number one, to play golf. Number two, to study sports management. Number three, to chase a girl. Um, A year and a half later, I wasn't very good. I was getting worse at golf. I didn't like sports manager anymore. I didn't like the girl anymore. And so it made it really easy when God called me into ministry to say I need to go somewhere else, right? And so start of my junior year, um, I, was, I was moving all my stuff into a campus of Indian Wesleyan University up north. And the, my freshman year, when I went to Marion College in Indianapolis, um, I remember the whole, we did the whole sort of parents go with you. They move your stuff, your mom cries, you know, you give her a hug and all that stuff. And I was thinking, you know what? I've kind of already done that, you know, I I don't feel the need to have that big thing again, so I kind of sent mom and dad and said, what what did you think about, what would you think about me just kind of going up there by myself, and dad looked at me and goes, what did you think was going to happen, right, it's like, all right, perfect, we're on the same page, and so I loaded everything up into my little 93 Grand Prix, and I, I drove up there without a single fear or worry in the world, thinking, I got this. And I remember how that feeling changed as soon as I got on campus because I walked on this campus with 6,500 students, hundreds of staff and professors and administrators, and I knew exactly zero people. And I quickly figured out there was nowhere I could go. If I went to my dorm room, there's this random dude there who I've never met before, and we're trying to share this space about eight feet big. If I go out into our living area, eight other rooms feed into that. All of those guys, I don't know any of them. Okay, if I go to class, who am I going to sit by? Because I don't know anybody in the class. I don't know the professor. The worst was the dining hall. Uh, you, go, you go get your food, and then wh- what table are you going to sit at? And so I always just got my food, put it in a bag, and took it back to my room like a loser and ate by myself. And I, and I just did that for the first week. And I remember, uh, finally, the second my class, my last class on Friday ended, I didn't even go back. to room. I just walked straight to my car, drove the two and a half hours back to Cloviso just so I could breathe, just so I could relax. Okay? Because there's... There's few feelings worse in the world than feeling completely isolated, and I think that feeling is, is heightened when you feel isolated when surrounded by thousands of people, right? And, and, and I see heads nodding right now because this is common to the human experience. None of us like being in a place where we're not known. None of us like being in a place that, that, that we feel separate, and the reason for that is because this is part of our design. See, human beings are the neediest creatures on the planet. You get that, Right? You, you were born, when human beings are born, they're born helpless. Like you literally need your parents just to stay alive those first couple years. And then you begin mooching off your parents for at least the first 18 years of your life. Some of you the first 25 years, some of you the first 35 years. There's probably 60-year-olds in here today saying, wait a minute, people's kids stop mooching off of them? To them, I like to say, hi, mom and dad, right? You see, animals, animals aren't as needy as we are. How many of you think that outside right now there's two female squirrels talking and, and one of them is going, you know, he just doesn't get me anymore emotionally? Right? We're just not connecting. Are there two guy raccoons talking like, she just doesn't let me hang out with the bros anymore, man. I don't understand. No, because they're not emotionally needy like we are. Okay? It's part of the beautiful design of humanity is that we are needy people. Okay? We, we have spiritual needs. We have emotional needs. We have physical needs. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that to run us down because I'm included. I'm saying that because that's good for us. Because right? every time you feel a need, that's a, that's a good reminder of humility that, that the answers in this life cannot be found within you. And second, when humans feel these needs, they pursue the fulfillment of them. And the design of this is that the source and provision of fulfillment of all our needs can be found in Jesus Christ. That God actually implanted those in us to drive us to him. And there's a need, we've already discussed today, that's implanted deep in us that we all know, that we all feel, but we don't actually give it its proper importance. And God has designed a fulfillment, that need, that we're all aware of. It's been made available to all of us and we don't give it its proper importance. And so I don't normally do this, right? But this morning, I'm going to lay the entire point of the sermon bare before you at the start. And it's this, that you need other people. And I'm not talking about you just need to be around them. I'm talking you need connection with them. You need deep relationship with them. You need to share your life with them. And the problem is that the trend of humanity is heading in the opposite direction. We are creating the most digitally connected and socially isolated generation that's ever existed. In the 1980s, 20% of American adults would answer a survey saying that they are lonely. Today, it's over 40%. The millennial generation is empirically, mathematically the loneliest generation ever. The number of Americans who say that they have no close friends has tripled since 1985. In fact, if when done a survey and they ask how many close friends do you have, zero is the number one answer now. Americans say that the number of people that we can confide in, that we can share life in, has reduced by a third just in the last 10 years. And by the way, this is killing us. And I don't say that for effect, I don't say that for embellishment, it's not exaggeration, it's literally killing us. Do you know lonely people can't sleep? Their brain is left in the fight or flight mode and so every noise is perceived as a threat and so they wake up more. Lonely people have doubled the risk of heart disease. Socially disconnected people are more prone to depression, anxiety, substance abuse and addiction. People who are socially disconnected are two to five times more likely to die from all causes. Being socially disconnected is one of the most dangerous things a human being can do because this is not the life that God designed you for. It's not in your design. It's not his intentions for you. And so in his wisdom, he created you with this need, but he also designed a community to fulfill that need. It's a gift that is within our reach. It's a gift that he's made available to us. It's a gift that he designed to be uniquely capable of filling this void. And so the questions that I want to lay before you to start is this. Would you like, would you like to experience deep relationships in your life? Wouldn't you like to know what it's like to have someone treat you with grace? When you like relationships in your life, that not only draw you close to other people, but actually draw you close to God. Would, would you like to just leave that pain of disconnection and, and isolation and just be fully known for once? Understand that Jesus Christ has made this available to you. And I want to unpack how today. It's because often we only get half the story. Right? Often here's what we're told. That Jesus died on the cross for what? For our sins. Right? To pay that price. And that's right, by the way. Okay, but we're in Hebrews 10 this morning, and and the author of Hebrews picks up on this. And and for nine and a half uh, chapters, if we had time to read all the book of Hebrews, we would this morning, but we don't, so I'll just sum it up for you. Nine and a half chapters, the author of Hebrews is making one single argument, that Jesus Christ is our high priest forever he's building an argument based off the system of worship that was in place in the Old Testament. That starting with Aaron and on through, there were many high priests. Because they kept having to keep taking the role. And those high priests would make many sacrifices year after year after year. Because no high priest was perfect and no sacrifice was perfect. Until what? Until Jesus. Until Jesus came from heaven, the holy perfect one, and sacrificed himself. And and the Hebrews tells us that this one sacrifice by Jesus Christ was sufficient Forever to cover the sins of mankind I think the best line Pastor Adam has ever had in a sermon Is when he said that the death of Jesus Is not only sufficient for the sins Of this world, it had been sufficient for the sins of 10,000 worlds And if I don't tell the rest of the story If we just stop right there Then what's left is this That Jesus bought you some sort of golden ticket It's like it's, like it's an internal monopoly game That now you get a pass Go and collect eternal life on your way and I even remember in, in my church growing up, there was, a, there was a couple who liked doing special music. Uh, and they wanted to do special music all the time, but they only sang two songs. So it got really repetitive, right? But one of them, they kept asking, do you have your ticket? I was like, stop asking me that. I got my ticket. Like, move on, right? But the issues with that mindset, though prevalent in the church, are numerous. Right? Jesus wasn't buying you a boarding pass. You get that, Right? What Jesus was doing was opening the door of the kingdom of God to you. And he was bringing you in. And the kingdom of God is not something that you have to wait to after you die to experience. The kingdom of God impacts every aspect of who you are now and in eternity. And that kingdom is built on relationships. And So the author of Hebrews unpacks for us two huge ramifications that now exist because of the death of Jesus. So look with me back in verse 19 of chapter 10. And he starts with therefore, and again, he's he's pointing back to his argument that Jesus is our high priest. And he even, even recaps it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, then here's what we do, verse 22. Let us draw near to God, with a sincere heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So he's building an argument there, okay? And he says, since, since a few things, and he's recapping what he's already gone over He says, since we can now enter the most holy place. You know what the most holy place is? It's the presence of God. He so, said, all right, brothers and sisters, since we can enter into the presence of God, and the reason that we can is the curtain that, has, that Jesus tore into. It's the curtain that, was, that blocked people from the most holy place that was torn into when he died on the cross. And since we have a great priest, that's Jesus himself. You know what he's doing? He's unpacking the theology of the cross. He's unpacking what Jesus bought for you on the cross. And he says, since all that is true, then here's two things we need to do. Number one is this. Let us draw near to God. Now, the reason that's important is because of a distinction that we need to be crystal clear on as a church. Jesus Christ did not come to establish a, a religion. I want you to just dispel that notion in your brain forever. That's not his purpose. He came to free us from it. See, his people, the Israelites, were trapped. They were enslaved by religion. Right? They, they were, If you read the Old Testament, they were chosen by God. They're set apart as holy by him. They're given his law and his statutes. He showed them his character. He'd expressed to them his love. And you know what they did? They chose religion instead. They said, you know what, God, instead of you, I'm just going to choose these ceremonies and these rituals and these laws and all these outer external displays of faith without ever really having a heart for you. And God was not okay with this. If God wanted religion, he would have never sent Jesus because the Israelites had nailed religion. They had it perfect. And so one of the things that jesus bought for us in the cross was the presence of god the presence that we now get to enjoy the presence that we get to experience this morning in this room the presence that we get to pursue and embrace the presence that literally takes up residence inside of you in his holy spirit because god is not to remain distant he's not to remain aloof he's not to remain far off and unapproachable what are we told here we're told to draw near we're to draw near to him And we're told to draw near with a sincere heart. You know what that means? It means we want this relationship with Him. He also tells us to draw near with the full assurance of that faith. You know what that assurance is? That God wants this relationship with us. We must believe that we want it and that He wants it. We're to draw near because He's cleansed us from our guilty conscience. That means that we don't approach God in shame anymore. None of us have earned this salvation. None of us deserve to stand before God, but we don't have to approach him in shame because Jesus has covered the cost for all our sins. We draw near because he who promised is faithful. It is God who saves us. It's God who keeps us. It's God who justifies us, and he will never let me down, and his sacrifice will never not be sufficient for my sins, and his love will never run out. You see, sin, when we talk about sin in the church, it's not just things that we do wrong that hurt us or others. Sin, the big problem with sin is that it separates you from God. That's so right, Romans 6 tells us, Romans six twenty three that the wages of sin is death. Now, God, if God is life and the wages of sin is death, what that does is that sin pushes us apart from God, a chasm that we cannot fulfill in ourselves, which is why Romans 5 says that while we were still sinners, that means before you cleaned up, before you did anything, while you were stuck in your sin, God sent Jesus to die for you. So if we call on him if we trust in him if we believe in his son jesus then we are drawn near to god we don't earn this by going to church we don't earn this by doing good things we don't earn it by saying the right words in a prayer we don't earn it at all well, this happens when you just simply trust that he's going to save you and it's not about going somewhere when you die it's about knowing god in fact here's what here's how jesus defines eternal life john 17 he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Really simple question for you this morning. Do you know God? Do you know? I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you went to church as a kid. I'm not asking if your parents were believers. I'm asking you, do you know God? Do you know him more and more deeply? Do you, are you connected with your creator in a way that just fulfills the longings in your soul? Jesus paid the penalty for everything that would ever keep you away from him. Not to give you some sort of golden ticket, but that you could know him intimately and deeply. And by the way, you need this. You were created for, you designed to have a relationship with the God who made you, and you can only find it in Jesus. We also need to, to experience the fullness of relationship with others. We need to have this connection with our creator because community, is a part, community apart from God is fully possible. You can find little pockets of community all over our world, but it's not experience the fullness apart from God. And so this is important today. only, Only when your soul is at rest with God are you free to pursue others. Because anyone who's still so inwardly focused, still worried about the problems in their life and worried about the sins that they're overcoming, just all their thoughts and prayers are about them, they're not capable of looking out. You need to be at home and at rest and fully satisfied in your Savior before you can focus on others. Which is why Jesus died to bring us into a deep relationship with God. He did it for another reason, too. Look at verse 24. The author continues. He says, and... So in addition, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus died to bring us into a deep relationship with God. Secondly, Jesus died to bring us into deep relationships with one another. This is the part that's less talked about, right? but it's undeniably biblically true. And so I want to walk through it with you today i already told you that for nine and a half chapters right the author he was just built the argument that jesus death is sufficient and so in verse 19 in response to that he starts with the word therefore so in in light of this that Jesus' death is sufficient for all the sins here's the two things that you're supposed to do draw near to god and then si- saddle up with fight with fight on with encourage meet with one another share life together he says, consider how you may spur one another on. Consider how you may root for one another. Consider how you may encourage each other in this life of faith. And do not ever forsake or skip out on gathering together. That's when the church gets together. Now, the question I want to ask you is this. Why would that be on the same level as the first? Right? Why, why would the author of Hebrews ever think that, that being close to the, other, to the people in church would ever be as important as being close to God? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about this. So I want to walk you through it. Genesis chapter 1. All the way back in a minute. We're going to throw these on the screen for you. Jesus 1.26 tells us this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Did you notice anything about that verse? Do you notice the the plurality of the language? It doesn't say, then God said, I'm going to make man in my image, does it? It says, let us. Make mankind in our image. You see, that one verse packs a ton of theology into it. Okay, it's the first reference in the Bible to the Holy Trinity, that, that our one uh, awesome God exists in three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this, this uh, teaching about God is, is so amazing that a three-year-old can understand it and an adult can never fully comprehend it. It's one of the most mysterious things about the Bible, but, but what you need to know is that the community, the, the Trinity, every role, every person in the Trinity plays a unique role, but they are fully connected. They are fully unified, and that God made us in his image, the God who lives forever in eternity in unbroken fellowship and community, said, I'm going to make mankind in my image, and his image, you know what we get in his image? We get his dignity and we get his design. His dignity is this, that every single human being has immense, unspeakable, untold value and worth. Because we bear the image of God. And that gives every person dignity. And secondly, the design is that we resemble him more than any other aspect of creation. We're the only aspect of creation that has a soul. We're the only aspect of creation that experiences the full gamut of emotions. We're the only aspect of creation that is eternal. Right? You will exist forever. You understand that, right? The difference is where you're going to be. We're the only aspect of creation that's drawn to community. Because we've been designed to bear the image of the God who exists in unbroken fellowship. Genesis 2 confirms this. Genesis 2.18 Uh, The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, you need to understand the context of that. Anybody who's read through Genesis 1 and 2, you realize there's a word that's used repeatedly, and that word is good. And it it feeds all the way to this verse. And what you need to understand about Genesis 2 is that human beings haven't screwed anything up yet. We'll get to that in Genesis 3. Genesis 3. We're going to mess everything up. But in Genesis 2, we haven't done that yet. And so what has happened in Genesis 1 and 2 is that you have a good God who's been making a good creation. He says, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and saw that it was what? It was good. And he said, let the water, let the fish swim in the water. Let the land be teeming with animals. Let the light and darkness be separated. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And seemingly out of nowhere you have this left turn where God looks at something and says, wait a minute, that's not good. That's not good. Because I made man in my image, and he's not meant to be alone. And so God establishes marriage. He establishes the family. Later in the Bible, he establishes a, a community with him as a sinner through his people Israel. And then he sends his son, Jesus, who died, according to the author of Hebrews, not just to bring us near to God, but to bring us near to each other. And then John 21, he's giving... Peter, Peter, the one who he said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, his life mission. You remember what he told him? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter, you're going to establish my church. You're going to pour out your life for her. First Corinthians 12, Michael showed us last week how the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the church of Jesus. The church and Jesus are not separate. Instead, we are brought into a God-ordained, Jesus-centered community when we trust in him. And this is for your good, and this is for your enrichment, and this is for your flourishing. And he's made this possible, not only through the death of Jesus, by, by accomplishing three different things. And number one is this, that he's removed any barrier that existed between us. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, again, we're going to put it on the screens for you. This is Paul writing the church at Ephesus, and he says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility." Do you know the two groups he's talking about there? Paul is writing the church at Ephesus in which the church contained both Gentiles and Jews. And if you need to know anything about Gentiles and Jews, you need to know that the hatred and discord ran deep for hundreds of years. Right. The Jews had constantly positioned themselves as if they were elite and separate because they were God's chosen people. And so it, it, was, it was beneath them to ever experience the Gentiles. And the Gentiles said, you know what? You hate us. We're going to hate you right back. And the argument that Paul is making for this church Is that that's not allowed anymore because Jesus himself is our peace. He writes that that Jesus is the one who made the two groups one. That Jesus is the one who who destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. He tore it down and he created for himself one new humanity in the church. That was his church united regardless of background. And he's done this by the cross. James picks up on this in his letter to churches when he said there should be absolutely no favoritism displayed in the church. But everyone gets equal worth, equal dignity, equal love. See, the church of Jesus Christ needs to be a beacon of light in a world that is marked by prejudice and racism and injustice and discord. She must lead the way in racial harmony and love and by granting equal dignity and honor to all. This wasn't the only time Paul wrote about Galatians 3. He writes this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Why those three different groups? Why those characteristics? You know why? Because Paul chose every single characteristic used to rate or value human beings in his day. They rated values, they rated human beings by their value, whether they're male or female, whether they were Jew or Gentile, whether they were slave or free. And Paul says, you know what? Throw every one of them out because you're all one in Jesus. And so get this. If you claim to be a part of Christ's church, and there remains even an ounce of prejudice, even an ounce of racial preference or social preference or socioeconomic preference in your heart or brain that ranks people, you must beg and plead the Lord to eradicate that darkness out of your heart completely. And the reason is... Because Jesus took the whips and Jesus took the crown of thorns and Jesus took the nails to tear down the walls and to tell you that is simply not allowed anymore, not in my church and not in my kingdom. He has removed any barrier that we would ever put between us. Secondly, in creating this community, he's gifted us and given us a common mission. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have a spiritual gift that's undeniable. The Bible says it clearly and truly. That that means there's something that you're good at, there's something that you're drawn to, there's something that comes easy to you, and it's been given to you by God, not for your good, but for the good of the church. On top of that, his church has been given one singular mission, that we are to be spreading the fame and worship of Jesus as far as we can. And we're going to unpack both of those in coming weeks. But, but the point today is this, that, if, that the part of the design of these is that if you use your gift to bless others, you know what that leads to? Deeper community and connection with others. If you, if you work together on a mission, together, singularly, on a singular mission, that leads to deeper community and deeper connection with others. This is the design of the church. God has designed his church. He's designed your role and part in it to lead you to other people. Right? So he's removed any barrier between us. He's given us a giftedness and a singular mission. And then he's, lastly, he's given us Jesus. Jesus is our example. John 13 Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this. This is the night before we went to the cross. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. He gave his life for her. He leads her. He is her authority. He's also her example. And there he tells us, That the rate and degree as to which you love one another is how I've loved you. You know what Colossians and Ephesians tells us? That the rate and degree to which we should forgive one another is what? How the Lord forgave you. See, I've mentioned to you before, community exists everywhere. It does. It's just evidence of our design. Human beings will always form communities. We form them around sports teams. right? We form them around coworkers. We form them around... Uh, aligned entrance we formed them at the neighborhood tavern or bar right do you remember the cheers theme song sometimes you want to go where what where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came who doesn't want that right. but the church of jesus is unique it's the only community with him at the center which means it's the only community that has his standards it tells you in Philippians too that your mindset should be the same as christ jesus it tells you in John 13 that you are to love one another as he has loved us. And Colossians 3 tells us that you are to forgive one another as he has forgiven us. Well, let me ask you, how has he loved you? How has he loved you? You who have rebelled against him. You who have rejected him. You've placed lesser things above him. Those of us who have ignored his leading and his word and his church and, and trusted in ourselves more than him. How has he loved us? Well, he went to the cross for us and he pursued us relentlessly, and he forgives us freely, and he's never regretted saving you, and he's never stopped loving you. And the Bible says that's the community that we're to create, a community that's loving. Uh, it's, a, it's a group of people who are quick to give the benefit of the doubt. It's a, it's a group of people who stick together and are unified, who forgive quickly, who are offended slowly, who let go of slights, who where prejudiced and racism and favoritism, are identified and then removed where bitterness is not harbored, but, but just freely tossed aside because it's a community of grace with Jesus as her head. And all, and all other communities, right, human beings bail when things break down. I'll go find another bar. I'll go find another team. I'll go find another place to work. I'll go find another friend. And yes, I'll go find another spouse. And that happens. And if we're honest, the church is often treated this way too. Give me what I want or I'm gone. Now listen, there, there are good biblical reasons To change a church, because sometimes the Lord does move his people, but far more often his people move themselves. And this is not the design of Jesus-centered community. And so what this means for us as a church is that FBN needs to be a lighthouse of grace and acceptance and love and compassion. And Jesus says, this is actually how they'll know. This is actually how they'll know that you're mine, because of the way that you treat one another. And people, do you understand this? Every human being is looking for that community. They've been designed to need it. They long for it. And if we create that here, they won't be able to resist it. And that community will draw them in and draw them to their Jesus more and more. So what do we do with this? Because often you you read this and you're like, man, that just sounds really idealistic. Okay? I'm not sure that any church would ever nail that perfectly. No, it won't. So how do we respond to this truth? Well, here's a few things. Number one, you must pursue the church of Jesus. Okay, if, you, if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's, that's step number one today. Before you can ever experience any of the rest of this, you need to first believe in him. But secondly, if that's you, then you need to make the church of Jesus Christ a real priority in your life. And this goes beyond just attending. Okay, I'm glad you're here today. Great job. It needs to go deeper than that. This means connecting with others. It means sharing your life. It means always gathering in smaller groups and always serving where you have the opportunity to serve. Because if you're walking in just a few minutes prior to the service and you're sitting in a big room with hundreds of other people and then you're walking out when it's over, that is not the biblical picture of community that you've been called to in the church. You must pursue deep relationships. You must pursue connections with other people in the church. Number two, in order to do so, you must stop pursuing counterfeit connections we are the most digitally connected and socially isolated people that's ever existed. We no longer need time to connect with people. We no longer need a car to go see people. We don't long even need people to connect. We just need a click of a mouse. And people are rushing to the internet to find connections that their soul is longing for, whether it's gaming or social media or Reddits or message boards or more. And temporarily, here's the thing, temporarily it tricks your brain into thinking it's working. Right? When people insert in themselves into that, it provides these fleeting moments of connections and synapse firing the brain. And it, and it makes them believe that they're a part of community. But research has proven that that feeling is incredibly fleeting and it does not last. And in fact, the more they chase it, the more it hampers their ability to connect with real people in the real world. So here's, here's what I think I would say to you. If you measured the hours that you looked at your phone compared to the hours that you looked at people you might be shocked at the result. I'm, I'm literally quite okay with FBN being a singular voice in the wilderness on this. You've got to spend less time online. And I know every time I say this, people rush to tell me the benefits of social media. I'm going to tell you the negatives far outweigh the positives. It is a trap of comparison and competition and looking for validation in all the wrong places. And most of all, it's just counterfeit. It's not the real thing. And it doesn't hold a candle to the people who are right around you the church of jesus has been designed by god to fulfill this longing for community in your soul please don't chase it elsewhere don't chase that elsewhere thirdly i want you to go to work on cultivating deep real relationships with people if you already have some you're sitting here this morning and think, man i've got some really deep solid relationships in my life could you take this moment right now and just thank god for those Would you take time this week to just reach out to those people and let them know the benefit they've been to your life? If that's you, that's great, but I'm going to argue this this morning. I think you could use some more. I think we could all need some more because who doesn't need more people on their side? Who doesn't want more people in their corner? Who doesn't want more people encouraging them and praying for them and and lifting up? Who doesn't want that? And so this is where I think the church of Jesus has some great advantages. And and so there's a few pointers I want to give. If if you're new especially, here's what I would tell you. Give it time. Give it time. Because even with all its advantages, deep connections don't form overnight. Especially if your level here is you just come to services one to two hours a week. And little of that is talking to others because there's always some dope on stage talking the whole time. Right? And then even after you have, what, three to five minutes before you're in your car? How long would it take for a deep connection to form in that? It takes time. It takes pursuit outside the corporate gathering. So give, give it time first. But secondly, go ahead and take the risk. I would love to tell you this morning that all church people have the heart of Jesus in them and they're all looking out for new folks. They're not. Okay. I'm going to get to them in a second. The good in that is this, that there, there are people here who they love and they want to see and, and they've got those relationships with and they want to spend time with them. The bad is this, it's hard for others to come in. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to them in a minute. But if you're newer around here and you're looking for some deeper connections, then, then take the risk. And why don't you just invite someone to lunch? Why don't you sign up for small groups? Why don't you walk in that Sunday school classroom for the first time? It will be hard and awkward the first time. It won't ever be that hard and awkward again. Have an awkward conversation. We've all had them. Don't hesitate to ask questions. And then mostly just pray and ask God to identify some people that can be these deep connections in your life. Knowing it's going to take some time, but it's worth it. In this process, also recognize your limitations. Do you come here with with four kids that need corralled and and chased down at the service and then rush to the car and try not to get anybody killed? That's going to make it harder to connect with people. Okay, you travel a lot and can only be here certain times, and you're you're gone. The good news is the Church of Jesus doesn't exist only in this room; it's everywhere. Right? But you need to recognize what your limitations are, recognize uh, what what could hinder this in your life, and then prayerfully ask God how to use those to your advantage, or how to make changes, or be more intentional. Okay? Now, to those who call FBN home, here's what I say to you: You've got to have an eye for newer people. I get it. When the service ends, you want to find your circle, you want to be together, and it's awesome to talk to those people you have deep relationships with, and you're experiencing a lot of good things there. One question for you. What if you didn't have a circle? What must that feel like? What must this room feel like at the end of the service if you didn't have a circle? What if you're a struggling single parent who, who went through all the effort of hauling all the kids to yourself, and you're trying to make it, and when the service ends, you don't have a circle? What if you took the risk and you came by yourself? You know how hard that is to do, by the way? But if you come by yourself, and then you have to walk through all our circles just to get to the door. What if you're someone who come to check out uh, this Jesus thing and, and see if you can understand what this faith is for the first time and you don't know him, you have to walk by all his people having a grand old time just to get to your car and no one notices you. Right. I mean, come on, just put yourself in their shoes for a minute. I know I just asked the newer folks to take a risk and put themselves out there, but we can't leave that on them alone. We've got to lead out in this. Right. That, that video did a good enough job. You know, don't smother people. Right, some need time, some want to be anonymous for a bit, but here's what I'm asking you to do. Just have a modicum of social awareness. Right, when you're talking to someone, you know who wants that conversation to continue, and you know who wants it to end, don't you? Uh, if you don't, just don't talk to people. Well, the rest of us will handle it, all right? But don't physically corner them, right? Don't block them in, don't ignore, just, just be gracious. And most of what I'm asking you to do is just take the time to see. Take the time to look, take the time to pursue in love, because that's What Jesus did for you that's what others did for you why not pass it on and then for everyone whether you've been here your entire life or this is your first Sunday man you got to get into a smaller group of people I'm gonna be honest as I can you're not gonna find community in a room the size of 200 plus people you just won't there's no chance there to to know others and be fully known which is why it's not the only thing we offer we have family nights where we're smaller groups based on age get together and study Word. We have Sunday school classes where literally the, the, the classes can't be bigger than the size of the room they're in, right? We have ministries like men's Bible study and ladies' Bible study. We have missions trips. By the way, if you ever really want to know someone, travel with them. That speeds that process up really quick, okay? Uh, we have studies that we offer, but, it, but most of all, like the best out of all these, I'm going to tell you this, the one with the most advantages for this are small groups, Because in all those other areas, most of it it is is lecture-based, and there's not a lot of community, there's not a lot of connection that happens during the time. The design of small groups is for you to connect with others in this church. We want you to love everybody here. I I want you to, to be on everyone's side. I want you to root for everyone and feel at least some level of connection with everyone here. But we're already way too big as a church to have a deep connection with everyone who attends. It's not even close to possible. Which is why we gather in smaller groups. Smaller number of people gather together and they share a meal and discuss matters of the Lord. And they start to pray over concerns and they celebrate wins together. And you know what happens? They start sharing life. And you know this, they're not designed to be an in-depth Bible study. If you're an egghead and you're like, I just want to break down the word. Everything else we do does that. Literally. Everything else we do, we'll have a breakdown of the word of God for an hour at least. This is designed to connect you with people who love Jesus, who are searching for him. Yes, the evening will have a theme. God's word will be read from it, will be opened. Spiritual and eternal matters will be discussed. But the highest importance is this, that you will be with others and they will be with you. And that Bible that we study tells us that's incredibly important. So I want to make myself clear this morning, if I haven't already, you need this. You need this for your physical health. I'm serious, just just listen to this. Research has found that those with bad health habits, I'm talking about things like overeating, smoking, high blood pressure, inactivity, those with bad health habits but who are connected with others actually live longer than healthy people are disconnected. Do you know what that means? That means if you sign up for small groups today, go ahead and get that triple cheeseburger for lunch. You're good, all right? All right. In in his book, Bowling Alone, uh, Robert Putnam just looked at the growing isolation of Americans, which is why he titled it Bowling Alone. And in his research, he says that joining or participating in a group, a group of any kind, cuts in half your odds of dying in the next year. How about that? Sign up for small groups today, and you have 50% less chance of dying in the next year. I can't, I don't know what else to tell you, right? You need this physically, but you also need this spiritually. And here's why. As a follower of Jesus Christ, right, the aim of your life is complete and total surrender to him. It's not for him to make your days better, or easier, more comfortable. It's for you to surrender totally to him and to build his kingdom. And in that process, he's going to come relentlessly for you, and he will pursue your heart, and he will aim for your devotion. And some of that's going to feel really bad, and you're going to want to bail. Right. And everything else, right... In your life will stand against this. We want you to pursue other things than Him. Your sinful nature nature will not help you in this. You're not just going to be left by yourself. You're not just going to pursue Jesus. And so, what you need are brothers and sisters in arms to link up with and fight this battle together. Community is for your good, yes, but ultimately it is for His glory. He said that they will know that you are my followers by the way you love one another. Do you get that? You see the point of that? He gets the fame. His name is spread. This is our duty. There's always risk in community, right? There's always risk in searching out connection. It requires taking a first step that's uncomfortable. It requires doing something that's awkward. But listen, every single meaningful relationship in your life required that at the start. And so if you will open yourself up to the church of Jesus, here's what you're going to find. You won't find perfect people. You won't find a perfect church, especially here. I can guarantee that. You will get let down. You will get hurt. You will get offended. I need to say that twice because a lot of times when I say that, people nod, but then they act like when it happens, then they're surprised. You will get let down. You will get hurt. You will get offended. You won't always agree with everything that's happening around here. But what you will find is connections with other people on the same journey. And you'll find prayer partners, and you'll find people who love you, and people who carry your burdens, and people who encourage you, and you will know and be known, and you will experience grace and forgiveness, and you will love deep and be loved deeply. Together and in unison, you'll get the opportunity to know Jesus Christ more and more, to love him more and more, to carry out his mission more and more, and to pour out your lives for his glory. And that kind of life is the exact kind of life you were designed for. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you that you have made us such needy people. Lord, it, it it just highlights the folly of any idea of self-sufficiency. Any idea that I could be my own answers or my own solution, that I could that I could fix my problems myself. It's just ridiculous, Lord. And so I thank you that you created us with this deep need and longing to be connected with you and you created us with this deep need and longing to be connected with others and so father is anybody in this room this morning um, who has not taken that first step of believing in jesus christ forgiveness of their sins Lord, i pray that this would be the moment they said yes we want to know god i don't want to experience religion i don't want to say the right words in the prayer i just want to know god Lord, where they surrender to you right where they're sitting. And God, for the rest of us, may we uh, just pursue real and meaningful relationships in our lives. Will you just cultivate this in our midst. And may the body of Christ be the community that you've called it to be. And do this ultimately for the glory of Jesus' name. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, for our response time today, I'm just going to hand you a couple of things, that that just points of application. Here's what I want you to do in light of what God has revealed in his word today. The most important relationship in your life is your relationship with God. And so if you've never believed in Jesus, you never trusted in him, you've never been brought near to God, you don't know him because of the death of Jesus, then make that your only prayer today. God, I believe in you, I trust in you, draw me near. The rest of you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sign up for small groups. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to hide from them. I'm just going to tell you to do it. Okay? I want you to sign up for small groups. I want you to take the risk of getting to know people. It's always worth it. The, the table's out in the welcome center. Put your name down before you leave. Take a few moments also to speak to someone that you don't normally talk to at the surface before you huddle into your little circle. And then in this time, before we sing the last song, here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray And ask God to help you cultivate deep and meaningful relationships in your life and within the body of Christ. This is your time with him.